The scripture reading for today comes from John 13, 21 through 30. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that, because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Thanks, Abby. Good morning. Uh, last week, uh, Todd started a new series called Friends of Jesus. Uh, and in this series, we'll be looking at Jesus' different interactions with people close to him uh, and, and what we can learn from some of those interactions. And uh, last week, Todd talked about Jesus and Levi and what it looks like for us as Christians to move toward the unlovable, the unwanted, even the difficult in our lives. And this morning, we're going to look at a, a unique relationship with someone close to Jesus. Someone uh, who he had invested a lot of time in, who he had shared a lot of life with, and who ultimately betrayed him and hurt him deeply. The hope for us as we go through this passage is that we begin to look at what it looks like for us to love one another despite being hurt by one another. That in community, we are going to hurt one another. What does that look like for us? to continue to move towards one another in love. And ultimately, we're going to see that uh, it is only through the love of Jesus in us and to us, despite our own betrayal of him, that enables us to love our enemies and those in our lives that hurt us. Now, speaking of uh, betrayal, there is, I've really come to, to learn this, there's few people that experience betrayal more than babies. I'll never forget the first time uh, that I put broccoli on Lila's plate rather than meat or like a puree or something, and she put it in her mouth. The look she gave me, I was like, you're one years old. How are you looking at me like this? Uh, or like the time that I put her in the bath and uh, the, the bath water wasn't quite as hot as she likes it, and she literally tried to jump out. Um, I mean, I just didn't know that that kind of betrayal thing was something that would be part of our uh, relationship, but it is. And I'll I'll never forget, also, um, those first six to nine, eleven months of Lila's life where she didn't sleep through the night. Babies' stomachs are not big enough to hold enough food for the whole night, right? So they wake up multiple times in the night, and they need food. Well, we got into a rhythm that at 2 a.m. and 5 a.m., Lila would wake up, she would cry, and I would walk to her crib have a sleep, I would pick her up, and then I would walk back, and I'd hand her to Andrea, and then I'd fall asleep, and Andrea would hit me, and I'd get up, and I'd walk her back. Um, so we decided, finally, 11 months in, that we were going to sleep train her, which means that we have to get her to sleep through the night. And what that also means is that instead of walking into her room and picking her up, I walked into her room and didn't pick her up. And so the first night that I did this, 
Um, it was two o'clock. Lila woke up, and you know all the experts say you go, you still go in there. You tell her you're there. You tell her you love her. Blah blah blah. Um, but you don't pick her up. You don't touch her. You leave her in there. And man, that first night she cried for an hour and a half straight, nonstop. It was insane. But I'll never forget this. Andrea and I talked about the cry that Lila made that night when I walked into that room and I didn't pick her up was one we had never heard before. It was this like, how could you ever do this to me? It was the deepest, most guttural cry of betrayal I've ever heard emit from a person. And she did it for an hour and a half. Um, but what's crazy is this. Every single morning, it only took three nights, every single morning that we walked into the room after she had slept through the night, she was so excited to see us. So happy. Like cackling almost. Uh, like love in her eyes in this like visceral way. She loved us and was so excited to see us even though we betrayed her every single night. And Lila's a baby, right? And the only real consistent things in her life have been Andrea and I. So, of course, she still loves us. But there, there's a principle here that I think is true. Acts of betrayal cause significant amounts of hurt to those in our lives, right? In a sense, we could actually look at hurt that we feel as betrayal. Because when we inflict hurt or pain on one another, we are betraying one another's trust, friendship, their intimacy, even their emotions. And and we're all guilty of this, right? And if we look at it this way, then all of us have played both the part of the betrayer and have been betrayed, right? But what do we do when those that we care about, that we are in community with, hurt us? How do we respond What do we do with that hurt, those emotions, those feelings of intimacy that have been violated, even on maybe some of the deepest levels? What do we do with that? Well, what we see in Jesus' interaction with Judas is instructive for us. Because in his interaction with Judas, who was betraying him, and maybe the most famous act of betrayal in all of history, we see what it looks like to love those who hurt us. Uh, the, the passage from John 13 is, is one that many artists have depicted for centuries. Um, and when Rembrandt painted this scene, he put his own face in the painting. Do you know that? And he put it on Judas. Rembrandt painted himself into Judas's face in this painting. You see, he knows what we do. That whenever we talk about betrayal and hurt, we must first talk about our own betrayal and hurt that we made against Jesus Christ by choosing sin over a right relationship with him. When we consider our feelings of hurt and betrayal caused by others, we must see it in light of the betrayal we made against Jesus Christ. Perhaps the most Christian thing we can ever realize is that the problem with the world is not out there, but it's within me and it's within you. And this passage that was talking about Jesus' betrayal, uh, here's the hope of the gospel. This passage is talking about Jesus' betrayal, but it's really talking about Jesus' love for us. Right before this passage, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. 
And this is an incredible act of service that we, we know would have been physically dirty and honoring, but also spiritually, like, incredibly profound. Jesus was embodying what he would do for the disciples in a few days on the cross, showing them a love like no other. And then immediately after encouraging them to love one another sacrificially, he turns to Judas and he turns to them. You see, John 13 is about Jesus' love. And this paints the betrayal in, in a new, perhaps even more profound and heinous light. But it also gives us a framework through which to see the passage. So we're going to read this passage through the framework of Jesus loving us despite our betrayal of him. And we're going to see uh, this is going to enable us to love those who hurt us in community with one another. And we're going to see this uh, playing out in three ways. So first, because Jesus loves us despite our betrayal of him, we must love those who have hurt us in the midst of our emotional turmoil. We must love those who hurt us despite a violation of intimacy. And finally, we must love those who have hurt us that may result in loss of relationship. Will you pray with me as we get into this? Father, um, we know that daily... We turn from you. And Father, forgive us of that. But even more so, remind us of your great love for us even when we turn for you. Allow that love to change us, shape us, and transform us so much that we are able to love and care for one another and those who have hurt us. Uh, guide us as we read this passage and go through it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So first... We must love those who have hurt us in the midst of uh, our emotional turmoil and upheaval. One thing that I, I love about Jesus and that I think is instructive for us is that he's never hesitant to show his emotion. He knows, he's, he's so self-aware of what is going on inside him. And then he deals with it. He actually engages with that emotion. I think it's instructive for us because to be fully human is to be fully able to express our emotions according to the circumstances that we are in. And Jesus does this. Uh, we see him grieve, specifically from death of friends and, and family. We see him righteously anger, like in the temple with Peter, when he at one point literally calls Peter Satan. Uh, we see him softened and meek with children who says uh, they're the heirs of the kingdom of heaven. And here in our passage today, we see Jesus stirred up emotionally. So after washing his disciples' feet, caring for them, instructing them in how to love one another, uh, we see Jesus not satisfied. The text says he was troubled. And uh, verse 21 says, uh, uh, after saying these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. This word troubled in the Greek, uh, as, as I've mentioned, means stirred up. Uh, and and it's, it's much more uh, intense than just kind of stirring water. It, it's more like uh, strong waves during an intense storm or hurricane uh, this word is used to describe deeply emotional times in Jesus' life. Um, his reaction to Lazarus' death in chapter 11, the way he felt about his own death in chapter 12. But here's what I love uh, about Jesus, and that's instructive for us. He knew that he was troubled. He knew that something was stirring deep inside him, like waves crashing against the inside of his heart. And one thing that uh, we know from Scripture is that it was no accident that Jesus chose Judas to be one of his twelve. He loved Judas. He, he, they walked through years and years of ministry together. He cared for him. 
They were close. It wasn't like Jesus chose Judas to be one of his disciples just so that Judas could betray him one day. No, like they actually had a relationship. And so when the end was nearing and Jesus knew what he was going to do, that that emotional upheaval must have been so intense inside of him. But what I think is so amazing is that Jesus doesn't shame him. In fact, he only lets on to John who he was talking about betraying him. He doesn't stop Judas. He allows him to do what he's going to do. He deals with those feelings and with Judas directly. He says this in verse 28, what you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus was in control here the whole time, which I think is really cool. Um, But I'm still just astounded that he cared for and loved Judas through this rather than shame or punish him. Keller puts it this way. He said, this is Jesus' final act of love towards Judas. He doesn't want to shatter Judas. He wants to melt him. He doesn't want to condemn him. He wants to convict. This is an amazing meshing of justice and sensitivity. I do believe this is instructive for us as God's people. And here at Hope Chapel, it's instructive for us. We must learn to love those who hurt us despite our own emotional turmoil and upheaval. And we must, as God's people, begin to learn to deal directly with those who have hurt us and even love and care for them. And we must, as God's people, begin to learn how to not allow our own emotional hurt, baggage, and turmoil keep us from being able to forgive, to care for, and to love those we are in community with. Now, it's easy to say that and feel like you and we don't actually have to deal with our hurt inside, right? Like, people we are in relationships with will hurt us. It is painful. That, that emotional brokenness that we feel is real. We need to recognize it. This is not an ignoring of it. And especially if you're in a relationship with someone who is toxic or constantly hurting you or even abusive, you might need to remove yourself from those situations or those relationships with people. Self-care is extremely important in how we engage with people healthily. So I want to say that up front. But I do fear sometimes that we have allowed self-care to become a a wall that we have put up to distance ourselves from others. I worry that we've gotten to a place, um, both in secular culture and in Christian culture, where we are so knowledgeable and ruled by our emotions and hurt that it's something that we hide behind. Making us isolated from one another not allowing anyone or people to see the real us. If our self-care leads us to isolation, it's not self-care, it's self-centeredness. One way that you, the people of Hope Chapel, have helped me tremendously is to be able to be honest with you from this pulpit about my own brokenness and my own struggle and my own hurt. And you've embraced me in that place. And I just, in a way, I want to thank you for drawing that out of me. We have a culture here at Hope Chapel that is so open to people being willing to be broken with one another and to be honest about their hurt. And that has been so, y'all have been so instructive for me in that place. 
And so I, I, I do, I want to recognize that we and you do this really well. And those of you that have taken me out um, and met up with me and told me uh, the ways in which I've hurt them relationally, some of those have been the most fulfilling, Holy Spirit, God-honoring conversations I've ever had in my life. But that ability, that self-awareness, we must not allow that to keep us from being willing to deal with this hurt with one another. So that self-awareness that we could allow turn to self-centeredness, we must not allow that to happen here. That will break our community here with one another. And so that also means that when people come to us with hurt, with our brokenness to one another, we also, as God's people, must receive them lovingly. We must hear that from one another. We must be open to that because it's there that the Holy Spirit is going to knit us together deeply in community. Our self-awareness as God's people here at Hope Chapel is going to be one of our greatest gifts to one another. Let's allow it to be a gift and not a stumbling block. So the question before you is this. Who has hurt you in our community that you need to maybe address it with? Or on the flip side, where are you allowing your emotional turmoil and baggage to isolate? Where is it leading you to isolation rather than to community? Who can you let into that? Who would you trust to meet you there? And, and these are hard questions. And it, it's my hope that each of you spend some time praying through and thinking through some of this. But here's where I know we can begin to step into this together. And we can do it right now. We have to start with Jesus Jesus, who fully recognized what was going on inside of himself, knew that Judas would betray him and still loved him regardless. He didn't allow his hurt and betrayal be something that kept him from actually dealing with it or dealing with the person. He allowed the fullness of his emotions be something he recognized and he allowed it to fuel his dealings with his hurt and with his community rather than hindering it. And this will lead us to our second point. So Jesus loved us despite our betrayal of him. Now we must love those who have hurt us in the midst of our own emotional stirring. Now we're going to see that we must love those who hurt us despite a violation of intimacy. Uh, One thing that I mentioned earlier uh, is that Jesus chose Judas despite knowing what would happen. Um, There's a long-suffering investment that Jesus made in Judas, pouring into him, caring for him, walking with him through years of ministry, knowing who he was and what he was going to do. They had true intimacy as brothers. And as an aside, what what I love about this is that Jesus is showing us that true ministry with one another, of which all of you are ministers to one another and to God's kingdom, the ministry we do with one another every day is so much more about the long-suffering journey together than it is about the end game. Our work is not void if we worked years to build a house and then lightning strikes the house and burns it down. It was in those years of building that we learned something and grew. In the same way, just because Judas betrayed Jesus in the end doesn't mean that his time, Jesus' time with him for those three years was worthless or for nothing or void. And that goes for all the other disciples and their interaction with Judas as well. Their interaction with him was real, and and their intimacy was as well. Um, Here's how we know this. Jesus' and and Judas' interaction was, 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 sorry, intimacy was so real. Because in verse 23, we see the the scene of the dinner. 
It says this, one of his disciples, who Jesus loved, uh, which is John, was reclining at Jesus' side. So, so right side. So Jesus and John were sitting like this. And in that society, uh, kind of around the, the Lord's Supper, uh, the table's on the ground. It's in a U shape. And everyone is leaning to the left, okay? And you're propped up on your left elbow like this so you can eat with your right and you can pass food with your right hand. This means that John was here in the place of honor and he was leaning essentially on Jesus' chest. They were, I mean, you know, John calls himself the, the disciple Jesus loved. I mean, they were super close. But Judas was on his left. This means that Jesus was essentially reclining and laying on Judas's chest. And the reason John brings that out to us is so that we can see that these men had a really close, intimate relationship. But here's what's uh, true about hurt and betrayal. It never just affects one person. So this isn't just about Jesus and Judas. The disciples were in this as well, right? Uh, the, the idea that one in the group would betray him was almost unthinkable. In verse 22, it says this, the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom Jesus was speaking about. They looked around nervous. They didn't point fingers. They didn't accuse. Each one uncertain. Mark's gospel, uh, when, when they play this scenario out, uh, scenario out in more detail, says this, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it I? See, when Jesus told them that someone was going to betray him, the disciples were heartbroken. And they asked maybe the most Christian thing you could ever ask in that moment. Is it I? This is what intimacy looks like. They knew themselves and they knew Jesus so well that they knew it could have been any of them that could have betrayed him. And it broke their hearts. And only John knew in this moment who's going to be. And John trusted Jesus so much that he didn't tell the other disciples. He didn't protest or accuse. This was an intimate group of men. But here's what I keep coming back to. Judas didn't just betray Jesus. He violated the intimacy that Jesus offered. Have you ever gotten so close to someone that when they hurt you, betrayed you, or wronged you, that you weren't just mad, you, you weren't just upset or disappointed, but you, you felt almost violated by them. I think this is what's happening here. The intimacy that Judas was offered in Jesus Christ and that he found in the disciples, he decided to give it up, to let it go. And I bet each of them felt that violation deeply. What about us? What do we do with that feeling when someone that we have shared truly intimate and deep things with violates our trust? Where do we go? One thing I, I want to say up front, um, those of you that have suffered from sexual, spiritual, or physical abuse as a violation of intimacy, Know that there are a few things in this world more despicable, heinous, and broken. Any kind of abuse in that way, uh, in that type of violation, is so broken and awful that there are not words to describe the depravity of it. My hope for you is that you are reminded of 
the intimacy that you can have, and that is yours in Jesus Christ. The perfect, perfect intimacy as he moves towards you in grace and love. And it's my hope that Hope Chapel can be a place of redemption, restoration for you. Uh, But there are those here who have suffered from other forms of intimacy, violations, and hurt. From infidelity in relationships, to gossip, to lies said about you, to people going back on their word, to you finding out people are not who you thought they were. In a way, we've all suffered from violation of intimacy in our relationships. And what do we do with it? And there's a myriad of answers to this question. Surrounding yourself and embracing a community of people that will have your back, that will care for you and love you, no matter what is so important to your healing and rebuilding of trust. Seeking professional help is incredibly important, especially for breaks in trust that are particularly damaging or hard to get through. Finding someone you can confide in, be vulnerable with, and you can allow to see the real you also helps. But the starting place is finding the intimacy that we are all looking for, that we are constantly searching for in Jesus Christ. The same man who loved Judas despite his betrayal, despite his violations of intimacy with the God who became man is the same God-man who loves you and who loves me. Who moves towards us intimately. Who wants to love us. Whose arms are open to us. Your trust will not be restored in people and you will not be able to connect with people in the fullness we were created for until you connect with Jesus and the fullness that you were created for. It is meeting him in that place because he is there. It's meeting him there that you will find the intimacy that you're looking for. Will you be vulnerable to him there? And this is not easy. This is scary. And honestly, at times it feels like, where, do you, where would I even start with connecting with Jesus on this level? But one thing that we know is that Jesus Christ is the only person who will never betray us despite our betrayal of him. Who will never turn his back on us when we have turned it on him. Who will never violate our intimacy though we do with him. Hold on to that when you feel at your lowest, your dirtiest, or even your most broken. And let him who loves you despite anything and everything restore you. Okay, this brings us to our, uh, our final point. Um, and we're running out of time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to race through this thing. Um, we're going to see that we must love those who have hurt us by loss uh, with the threat of losing a relationship. Now, all of us at different times have lost relationships, friendships, dating relationships, even marriages. What do we do with that? In verse 27, um, It literally says that Satan entered Judas and that Judas left into the night. Now, this night piece is important. It's also going to be translated as darkness. As we read in our assurance of pardon today, uh, Jesus is called light throughout all of John and honestly throughout a lot of the New Testament. But the reason that John uses Judas going into the night or dark tonight is to metaphorically describe Judas breaking relationship with Jesus. He has turned himself completely away from the light and into the dark. Can you imagine what that felt like in those moments? Losing someone that close to you. 
What's amazing is here's what Jesus says in 34, which isn't in our bulletin. After Judas leaves, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is amazing that having one of your closest friends not just leave you, break that relationship in such an intense way that you know the relationship is over, and then Jesus to say, continue to love one another to that group of friends. It's, an, it's amazing. We know that the loss of relationship will take us to really difficult places, emotionally, spiritually, and maybe even physically. But what the question before all of us is, will you allow that loss of relationship to rule you, or will you allow it to drive you to Jesus and to one another? This is what Jesus is encouraging us here. The loss of relationship can drive us to despair or to community. Which one will it drive us to? And this doesn't mean we can't mourn relationships we've lost. We have to. It doesn't mean we shouldn't grieve it. We have to. It doesn't mean we can't seek counsel and feel the brokenness from losing relationship, because we must. But ultimately, you have to be reminded, all of us, of the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ who will never break relationship with us. Who will never leave you or forsake you. Who looks at you and calls you beloved. When those times come, when you either have to walk away from a relationship that is so broken, or they walk away from you, it is in those moments that we must be reminded of the good and loving Father who will never break relationship with us. That is where we find restoration, hope, and peace. Three nights. By night three, I went in there and cried for 15 minutes. And she slept from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. now for like a year and a half. Man, that, talk about life-giving. Changing of life right there. I'll never forget that cry of betrayal, though, that first night, and how visceral it was, and how we, we almost felt it in our gut, you know? But you, you know what it really reminded me of? It reminded me that um, I have a large capacity to hurt this precious child of mine. I've, I have the ability to hurt her maybe more than anyone that I'll ever be in a relationship with, and that terrifies me. But her smile each of those mornings was a reminder that my ability to show her love is even bigger than my propensity to show her hurt. Our ability to hurt and to feel hurt for one another is large, but my hope is that our desire and ability to love one another is infinitely bigger. That is my hope for us at Hope Chapel. And as we finish, I want to think about one last thing. This story of Jesus, should, uh, sorry, of Judas should also be seen in light of Peter. Peter, who in the same way betrayed Jesus, who denied him three times, who called curses down on Jesus in his most awful moment. Peter, whose act of betrayal was only superseded by Judas. But there is one difference between the story of Peter and of Judas, and the difference is this. Peter sought the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He came to Jesus when he rose from the dead, and when Jesus asked him three times if he loved him, Peter responded each time, walking back his betrayal and denial. He embraced 
the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And that offer was free to Judas too. Judas had walked with Jesus enough to know that that offer was his as well. And he rejected it. The same choice is in front of us today. We will never learn to deal with those who have hurt us and betrayed us until we deal with our own hurt and betrayal. And that he forgives us on it. He walks towards us, arms open with forgiveness, love, and grace. Embrace that love. Embrace that grace. And then, only then will you be able to forgive, love, and walk towards others who have hurt you in grace. Amen.